Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, July the 15th, 2023. Um, as always, I'm talking to you, as usual, talking to you from San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. San Francisco, of course, being the most urban of urban places in America with all the urban strengths and weaknesses of urban America. The great division, I think, in America, and we've dealt with this in many different ways on many different shows with many different writers, is the division between city and countryside, between urban and rural in America. It's political, it's cultural, it's economic. It's in many ways existential. Uh, it's interesting. People cover it in different ways. We had a show a few weeks ago with a, a Northwestern uh, uh, journalist, uh, David Newert, who in his new book, um, The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy, seems to believe that uh, small town America, rural America is inhabited by right wing radicals, all insurrectionary. I wasn't, I have to admit, entirely convinced with his thesis. Others will disagree. The USC sociologist Elizabeth Currid Halcott was on the show recently, but it was a very good show. She has a new book out, The Overlooked Americans The Resilience of Our Rural Towns and What It Means for Our Country. Uh, Elizabeth in contrast with Newitt, believes that uh, we've misunderstood, we being urban America, has misunderstood rural America. It's actually inhabited by very reasonable and very attractive and loving people. The politics of it, of course, are complicated. Uh, last year, we did a show with uh, a politician um, in Maine, Chloe Maxman, um, who believes that the Democrats need to start listening to rural America. She's a Democrat, and in her new book, Dirt Road Revival, she believes that uh, the future of American democracy requires rebuilding rural politics. Of course, all these writers are nonfiction writers, but this division between city and countryside is also a very uh, rich, complicated theme when it comes to our fiction writers. Um, and my guest today, uh, Amy Rowland, has a new book out, Inside the Wolf, which is really a book, I think, about this division between rural and urban America. And she had an interesting piece um, in LitHub uh, last week uh, about how to write about rural America. Uh, she quotes an agent uh, when she was younger. She uh, wrote a book that didn't uh, get published. And one agent responded to her book about rural America. Um, uh, he wrote or she wrote, Dear X, please don't send me novels about rural people. It embarrasses me. Well, um, Amy has embarrassed that agent. She has a book about rural America and rural people. It's called Inside the Wolf. Um, it's her second novel. And she's she normally lives uh, in either Berkeley or Princeton, New Jersey. But uh, she's currently in Washington, North Carolina, visiting her family, a small town. Uh, Amy, congratulations on the new book. Apologies for the rather long-winded introduction. No, thank you. 
tell me in this interesting piece in Lit Hub, you talk about how to write about rural America. Why is that an issue? Why did you choose to, to, to write about uh, how to write about rural America? For you, it seems to be in many ways a moral issue. Well, um, it was, it's probably more of a, of a personal choice, but I do think there is some um, residual classism and um, you know, dismissiveness of regionalism or so-called regionalism in American publishing in the literary world. Um, but, you know, that's the world I'm, I'm from. So as a novelist, that's, you know, what I chose to explore in, in fiction. Um, so I, I don't know that I can give advice about, about writing about it, but I certainly think it's, it's legitimate and worthy of, of pursuing. You use the term classism. What does that mean? Um, well, you know, I, I, I work at a university now and I, I live among academics and for a long time I worked at the New York Times and, um, you know, my interactions in, in these worlds are usually with people from very middle class backgrounds who, you know, have, uh, have different histories and different approaches. And sometimes we like to pretend that doesn't exist. So in this context, are you saying that people about who work at the New York Times or teach at Princeton or, or Berkeley, they should or shouldn't write about poor people in small towns in America? Well, I mean, I, I think anyone can write about anything, but I think um, I would like to see more, more voices from rural America in mainstream literature and media. More voices, you mean, in, in terms of a variety of voices. I mean, you quote that piece. Absolutely. Um, the response from the agent about not sending him, I'm guessing it was a he, don't send me novels about rural America. Is that because right. novels about rural America don't sell? Is because the agent, who was probably living in New York, um, finds rural America distasteful. What's the problem with rural America when it comes to the publishing business? Well, I can only speak from, from personal experience. And I, I don't think it's, um, I think the problem is different now than it was, you know, it, from this specific experience in the nineties. I don't think, I don't think someone would say that now. So that seems like some kind of small progress. Um, but I do think, you know, if, if people who work in publishing are from very similar backgrounds and they choose to publish um, certain types of literature and promote certain types of literature, then that's the literature we will have. And I just think I'd, I'd love to see we, we are seeing a lot more diversity of, of voices um, in the full meaning of, of the word diversity. But I think that can be opened up even more your first novel and promoted uh, more. Yeah, your, your first novel was um the transcriptionist which i think was a novel set in new in new york from 2014 the new novel is set very much outside new york in a in a place called shiloh in north carolina probably in some ways i'm guessing not entirely dissimilar from washington north carolina um 
did you was it a struggle to have this book published when you sold it to publishers how did they well, respond to a book about rural america a novel about rural america which was which i'm guessing and correct me if i'm wrong amy which was in some way sympathetic it wasn't as critical as someone like david newer for example sure um I listened to that, by the way. I thought that was a very interesting and insightful podcast. Um, and I, did, now you, uh, really, did you think I was a bit uh, hard on him? I have to admit, he got on my nerves. But, you know, it's very easy to well, get on my nerves, as you can probably tell. You, <laughs> you pushed back, which was good. I thought it made it a more interesting conversation. So, um, And you've probably met a lot of guys like that who who seem to believe that these small towns are, are, are packed with racists and insurrectionists well and you know and 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 look in the in the last eight to ten years i I think that's uh i think that's legitimate i mean that population certainly exists um it's just that you know i think sometimes my friends in new york uh we like to think that no group is monolithic except when it comes to rural america and then of course that group is the, you know, is the group that's allowed to be, that's a monolith. And I do want to push back against that um, because I'm from this area and it's true. Um, you know, there's certainly, um, it's much more polarized even than when I grew up here. Um, and there's a lot of, of animosity and, and contempt, but, you know, there's also uh, incredible diversity and nuance of, of opinion uh, and perspective within these communities. So I think the dismissiveness is something that I want to reject. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to give you a much easier time than Dave knew it, which isn't hard. Um, <laughs> you write and uh, you write both in the book implicitly and in your Lit Hub essay about the author, an author like yourself who grew up in rural America and then went to the city, you know, worked at the New York Times, taught at Princeton and Berkeley um, as a kind of imposter, I guess almost a class imposter. You seem to struggle with this a little bit. You, 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 you debate with yourself about whether you have a right to R-I-G-H-T to write R-W-R-I-T-E about the world that you grew up with and have left. Talk a little bit about that, Amy. Well, I think I, I think I feel um, I worry more about interloping than about being an imposter. Um, and I wanted to try to think about the the difference between those those two terms. Um, but you know, I, it, it's. I, for a long time, I, I didn't write a Southern novel because of this concern. There was not only the burden of Southern history, but, you know, the fact that I have left um, the small town South and I haven't lived here in, in more than 20 years. But I also do know this world and I return to it very frequently because I have extended extended family here. So I, I return often. And it was this navigating between you know the world I live in now and the world that I grew up in that I wanted to to explore um, and and um, see if I could you know be a, a native um, 
exploring with an outsider perspective to see what that would look like and if that, you know, would work and what might come out of that. So you contrasted interloper and imposter. Which one is acceptable? What do they mean? What is an interloper and what is an imposter when it comes to writing about small southern towns? Right. Well, the way that I think about it is that, you know, living among academics, I know a lot of them have um, suffer from imposter syndrome and ones that really surprise me because they seem they're very high achieving, um, objectively, seemingly successful people, but they say that they feel like imposters, you know, because they feel like a fraud somehow internally. Um, whereas, you know, I realize I am more concerned with being an interloper, which the way I think of interloping is, you know, it's not only that you feel you're um, trespassing um, and territory that, you know, might not be in your rights anymore, but you also feel that other people let you know that you're intruding. Um, and so that can be doubly uncomfortable, both internally and relation relationally. Um, and so I just wanted to, I, you know, I wrote that essay because I was thinking about it myself and I, I just wanted to try to distinguish and think about, you know, what does that mean and how can you handle it? And, you know, what are the um, consequences of that? Yeah, this doubleness of interloping you write about uh, in the essay, a double interloper problem. That doubleness, of course, is uh, a rich theme in America, um, particularly in African-American cultural history. This book is laced with references to race, racism, lynching. How does that all play into this? I mean, obviously, you're a white woman. It goes with, I mean, for at least people right. watching, that goes without saying. How right. central is the issue of race? And, and, and in that sense, is the small southern town an entirely different southern town, small town, from the other small towns in America, in the Midwest or the Met or the West or the Northeast? Well, I mean, um, that it, it's quite complicated. I do feel, you know, the history of slavery is um, still very visible in some ways um, in the South. And that does make it a uh, particular peculiar place with its own specific history that um, separates it somewhat from the rest of the, of the U.S. Our places, you know, um, not entirely, of course, you know, the history of race in this country is incredibly complicated. And I was quite concerned about touching on that in the novel. Well, it's not that complicated, Amy, is it? Oh, I mean, it's, um, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's tragic. Um, but when I say complicated, I mean, I, I don't, okay, I, I don't want to um, misspeak here. I mean, obviously, slavery was horrific, um, but it's a historical fact. And I think there's a danger in, you know, as we see now, um, 
in some people trying to uh, refuse to acknowledge it, right? And it's true, I, obviously, I, I'm writing as, as a white woman who grew up in, uh, in, the, in the rural South, but I also felt that if I were to try to write a Southern novel, um, it wouldn't be realistic or true in any sense that I think of as true if it didn't have black characters and reference the history of race and you know in North Carolina. If that does that make sense? Yeah. So so the book Inside the Wolf is inhabited on lots of levels by ghosts. Um, the ghosts of the the young the, the older woman who returns. There must be an element, I'm guessing, of autobiography here, uh, of what happened in this small town, of violence, of racism, and presumably also of the Civil War. How, as a novelist, do you approach writing about ghosts versus nonfiction writers? What, what, what are the challenges and opportunities of writing about ghosts as a fiction writer? Right. Well, um, writing, a, writing about, about the South, I think, is, is challenging anyway. But for me, uh, the South is full of ghosts. And so there was no way they, they came through, um, they came out in the writing, you know, without me even consciously thinking about it. Um, because when I when I revisit the South after having been away, um, the ghosts are, are all around me. You know, the the visibility and invisibility of history is just uh, completely um, it's it, it's here. I, that's that's how I feel when I when I return and when I walk around. Um, it's a haunted place, and I wanted I wanted to try to. Um, portray that in in the novel. Is the novel also in in part a book um, about overcoming ghosts, the shame of the past, um, getting beyond them? One of the reviews of the book I read suggested that you believe that we can go home again. It's the struggle of going home, of returning to a place that's not really home because you've changed so much and yet also in, in other ways really is home. So um, can we get beyond ghosts? Is that one of the conclusions of Inside the Wolf or is that too simplistic? It's not that it's too, no, it's not too simplistic. And I, I think in the case of the narrator of the novel, um, I think that is true. I mean, she does have, a long um, homecoming, but in the end, I, it does seem that she can go home again. And it was interesting for me as a novelist to attempt that because it's something that I don't think I could do. And so I wanted to explore it through a fictional character and, and see if she could do it and see what that would look like. It seems as if one of the struggles in the book and in your work is to get beyond the embarrassment of being a writer. You, One of the concluding, you conclude, I think, your Lit Hub piece is 
you write, writing is my vocation. It doesn't embarrass me. Um, you write about language and the importance of language, both for you as a novelist and also in the South, particularly in a religious sense. How, how, how do we get beyond, if you like, the shame of writing, Amy? Is that one of the themes of the book? That is one of the themes of the book. It's one of the themes of of my life, I think, um, because, you know, writing, uh, writing, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of, of writing, certainly, but I do um, probe my own shame some through my writing. Um, and I think, you know, shame for me is also tied up, as you mentioned, as I allude to in the essay, you know, with with class and with being a, a Southern person um, in a, in a, who lives in a very different world now. And um, it did take me a long time to adjust to that. And I still navigate as I move back and forth. How, how have the people of Washington, North Carolina and your, your relatives and friends in North Carolina, uh, the book came out this week. It's been already reviewed in the New York Times. It's um, done, doing very well. How, how have they responded to the book? Um, well, I immediately after this podcast, I'm I'm going to a family gathering, so I suspect I will. I hope I they don't eat you. Shortly. I hope they don't roast you, Amy. <laughs> I hope not to. I hope not to. Are you taking um, a bodyguard? <laughs> no, I'm joking. My sister. My sister is uh, she's serving as as the chauffeur and, and bodyguard, so I, I think I think I'll be okay. In an odd way, and, and and there was a sort of irony here. You imply, although you don't say it outright, that writers are spies. Um, they have to be, for better or worse. That's that's their vocation. And it's interesting, you quote Krista Wolf, the East German, the old East German writer. You quote Krista Wolf's The Reader and the Writer when uh, Wolf writes, the writer we are talking about does not therefore let himself be pushed, himself, although she's a woman, be pushed into the position of an outsider, a position which almost all bourgeois writers can play, notwithstanding his peculiar way of life. The funny thing, though, about Wolf, of course, uh, Crystal Wolf is that she herself worked for the Stasi. She was a spy. Do you think, I mean, I'm not suggesting you work for the Stasi, but um, do you think writers, by definition, Wolf, Crystal Wolf, or otherwise, they have to be spies? They don't have to work for the Stasi, but they have to do things which are shameful. I mean, that, um, that's interesting. I don't know that it has to be shameful. Um, and sometimes I think, I think some writers are, um, you can be a, a keen observer um, without necessarily being a spy. And so I don't know, I have to, I have to think about that, what being a spy entails. And, uh, and if I, if I feel like a spy or that all writers are spies, maybe, maybe some of us are spies and some of us are, um, I don't know. Uh, what would we be? Um, observers or note takers or people sitting alone in the room uh, listening? Or uh, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I have to think about that. 
guns and violence are central um, in the narrative and in this small town and accidents in association with guns. Are you making a point about guns, about banning them, about allowing them, about people, you know, urban people misunderstanding the place of guns in small towns? Or are you trying to convince people in small towns to be a little bit more careful with their guns? You know, um, I, I didn't write this book with a message or, or as an argument, um, but these are, this is the story that, that evolved as I was writing it. And, um, you know, I, I, did, I did grow up in a house with guns among hunters and I do live in a very different world now. And, uh, you know, I'm not a gun owner and most, I don't, none of my friends are either. Um, and there's very little, um, sometimes that seems like a chasm that, that can't be crossed between, between those two sides because, um, you know, the, the talk about the, the guns issue has become such a, a political, not a third rail, but just an issue that it seems like both sides are entrenched and there's no room for, for, you know, debate. But um, I, I think there is, and again, you know, I wrote a story um, about the aftermath of, of gun violence for a family and a community, but I did want to um, explore this idea that I have felt in my, in my own life that, um, you know, I, I think there, there has to be room for a conversation because the people I know in my hometown, including my own family members who own guns, are not necessarily opposed to all gun regulation. Um, and I, I think, you know, when, when the leading cause of death among children in under 19 is, is guns, then I think we have to find a way to talk however we can. And it seems to me, you know, I, I don't know anyone who thinks children being shot is a good thing. And so I think that that's an area that we ought to be able to find some common ground. The finding of common ground, of course, is a persistent theme these days. Last week, um, I was in uh, Gettysburg uh, in Pennsylvania, another small town, not a southern small town, although on the on the edge of, of the south, um, at a Braver Angels convention, which... Uh, is an organization seeking that conversation, the ability for people to talk to one another. When it comes to rural and urban America, to the people of Shiloh, North Carolina, and New York or San Francisco, really learning to talk to one another, what are the lessons, if any, Amy, in the book, and, and indeed from your life as someone who has been caught between these two worlds and simultaneously, for better or worse, seems to inhabit them both? Well, I, you know, I, I want to be cautious because I, I did, I don't intend necessarily to impart lessons with a novel, um, but of course, you know, it does involve um, gun violence, um, and there are people, you know, I'm close to and have known throughout my life who have been influenced by this, um, by this problem and by, by gun violence, um, and so, I just. I, uh, 
I, I again, I, I just have to say, I, I think, I think we have to, we have to start talking. And I think, I think that children is maybe an entryway because certainly we can all agree that, um, you know, no one wants children to, to accidentally shoot each other as, as they do in my book. And, and again, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, what I'm pushing as an individual, what I believe, um, not necessarily as a novelist or, or in my novel, but as an individual, I would say, you know, I, I think certainly we could, um, I mean, why can't we, you know, it, it seems that uh, having guns in homes that children can access um, is a terrible thing. And, you know, if, if we can prove with statistics that children um, can get their hands on these guns and accidentally um, cause harm to themselves or others, then, you know, shouldn't there be laws um, that guns have to be um, locked in, locked up and ammunition, you know, the, just common sense, you know, practical things that we could do um, to limit children's access to guns. Amy, you seem to shy away from the idea that a novel should have lessons, or at least your novel should have lessons. But don't the really good novels, don't they have lessons one way or the other? They haunt us after we read them. They may not be as formal or utilitarian as, 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 as some people might like to think, but, 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 but novels influence us. They shape our lives and how we deal with the world. Good novels, that is. Sure. I, I think, you know, good novels do haunt us and they may shape and even, you know, inform our lives. But I think the idea of imparting lessons um, is a little bit different because I didn't, I didn't write a polemic um, and I wanted to explore individual stories, which I, I feel is a, is a novelist job, which is different from possibly a nonfiction or, or a journalist job. So I think it, I hope that um, I would be honored if, if my stories or, or my fiction ever um, haunted someone or, or had some effect on their life. But I'm not suggesting that I'm up here, you know, to, to pound lessons into, into people's heads. I think it's just interesting to, you know, read about people who live different ways in different cultures with different beliefs and uh, different perspectives. Well, finally, Amy, I take your point that there are no concrete lessons and you're not a school teacher, but you're a writer. What one thing would you want people to take away from inside the wall? Not maybe a lesson, but well, what do you want to, what would you like people to conclude this book with? In addition I, to the fact that it's, you know, the, 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 that it's, it's, it's well-structured and moving and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, one thing that I was thinking about as I was writing this book in California during the pandemic is about community um, and what it means to be a member of a community. And so I would hope that that, that would be um, something that people might, might think about as they read the book. What does it mean to be a member of a community? What are the responsibilities? And um, you know, and what does that what does that look like 
because I, I live in a, in a bubble now and I'm very comfortable there. But I think it's interesting to think about living in a community as an active and engaged member where you're actually challenged. Um, and it's, you know, it's everyone doesn't agree with everyone all the time. And to get away from this idea that disagreement is a bad thing.